Strong is brought to you by Blickman Engineering, home of the Riptide. Visit them online at BlickmanEngineering.com. for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think, Jamil Zainashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Howdy, hey, my Bruin brothers and sisters. Greetings, cretins. Ah, <laughs> uh, it's good to be back. It is. It is. It's. Uh, I've, I've had to carry the load of my own for a couple shows. Well, Justin helped, of course, but uh, yeah, missed you, buddy. You were you were handling the load. Yeah. <laughs> the show has always been a load. <laughs> I People did. tell me all the time that show is such a load. <laughs> they, they seem oddly appreciative, though. Yeah, everyone likes a good load. <laughs> I tried my best, my very, very best hey, howdy, hey in pr- impressions for most of the shows, and I just, not even close, Jay-Z. Well, you know, it's... Yeah, uh, the spirit was willing. 15 yeah. years of uh, hey, howdy, heying. Uh, so right. It's, so, it's uh, you know, practice. Practice makes perfect. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Well, everybody will be happy to have you back in the studio. I'm sure of it, Jay Z. Um, yeah, quite possibly. I yeah, I, I've uh, been quite uh, touched by the number of people who've uh, said that they missed me on the show. And uh, and uh, Liz was telling me just this morning, somebody down in Camp Pendleton was saying uh, how he missed me on the show. And so the one listener, uh, that yeah, we have, <laughs> he made it known. How nice, right, right. <laughs> No, and uh, I tell you, I miss everyone too. I, I haven't, uh, you know, had a chance to really be around everybody for a while. And uh, I was in uh, Providence Tuesday morning, ready for the conference. <laughs> and then uh, Liz texted me, and uh, uh, and I had just just finished like texting with Blickman, saying, uh, "Yeah, yeah, I'm here for the conference. I'll see you." We're like, "We'll get together," you know. And uh, then I was just gone. I'm sure he was like, "Where the hell?" Mm. He said he was going to be here. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, yeah, no. Liz, Liz got sick. She texted me. She's like, "I'm in the emergency room. I need surgery." Oh dear! It's like Jesus Christ. Yeah, so I'm on a plane and left. So I missed the whole conference again. Yeah, you guys have had a rough go of it the last couple months over there at the Zanishev family. Since November. Yeah, really. November, I got sick. Okay. December, my sister unexpectedly died. Oh God! And then you know they I I just got worse and worse health as uh, they tried to figure out what the hell was going on. I'm so and it sorry. It wasn't until April that they figured it out, and I was like, I was telling Liz, I'm like, you know, if they don't do something, I'll be dead by Fourth of July. Oh gosh! And uh, so then they started treating me with uh, steroids, which are making me all jumpy. But you know, mm. it's keeping me alive. Yeah, well, we yeah, need, so, we want that. Yeah, yeah. You know, not all, maybe not you. It's 
<laughs> yeah, <laughs> depends on the day. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, I, I missed I missed seeing our, our dear friend John Blickman. I'd miss seeing all the cool stuff that he brings to the uh, to the uh, uh, the Humber's conference. Oh yeah, it was a yeah. good one this year. Every year yeah. he always has something new and unusual, and you know some some clever thing that he's working on. You know, uh, they've got uh, all their 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 homebrew line, and then uh, you know the Anvil series, which mm-hmm. uh, you know is the uh, the more um, I don't want to say. Uh, uh, just durable, yeah. Uh, Lower work, price point, but very durable. Uh, yeah, workhorse type of uh, equipment yeah. without uh, uh, any uh, frills. The, the no frills kind of line, right? The everyman line, the everyman line, and then and then the pro line for those of you uh, that are going uh, professional or uh, they've been working on. Uh, and you know, it's the way Blickman Engineering does everything uh, yeah. with quality and. Uh, you know, a, a good dose of genius thrown in there, I think. So uh, yeah. everybody should check them out. They sponsor the show, have for a long, old time. I don't know why. Uh, maybe Blickman likes a good <laughs> load, too. Um, but check them out at BlickmanEngineering.com. Uh, Blickman with a B and a there's like an N or something in there. Uh, yeah. And a .com. So check them out, and if uh, you appreciate the show, make sure to send uh, an email to our good friend John Blickman at feedback at BlickmanEngineering.com. All right, so uh, today we were going to talk about uh, the difference between late and dry hopping. That's right, yeah. I mean, talk uh, a little bit about which is which and what does what. Right, because uh, you know a lot of times there's confusion um, you know, people are still talking about, you know, first word hopping and boil hops and, you know, uh, at least uh, at Heretic, when, when we're making like hazy IPAs, it's like, no, there's no boil hops. <laughs> we, we don't use those. <laughs> that's that's, uh, that's old, old technology. I mean, why waste hops in there? And so, uh, you know, we've, we've moved everything to the, uh, to the Whirlpool and to the dry hop. So it's kind of late Whirlpool and... Uh, dry hop. That's the, the only two things we use in uh, a good, uh, the vast majority of the beers we're making today. Which I I just found interesting the the progression of this because you know early in the in the brewing network you very often started talking about shifting toward late hops mm-hmm. but you weren't eliminating boil hops at that time right. it was just but this progression and and then it kept being more late hop and more late hop and now you're saying now there won't even be boil and so I I just found not only the progression interesting and fascinating mm-hmm. but that now really a distinction has to be made between what is a late hop what is a dry hop what are the differences right. and what do you get out of those things mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well and um uh and now i can't remember what i was this jay-z we were here for you buddy <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> um uh, while you get back on the saddle uh, yeah 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 saddles are fun I, you know i enjoy riding yeah. <laughs> now palmer you've been talking about this at different events too this is a topic that's come up for you recently quite a bit yeah yeah it's uh i've been doing hops talks in south america a bit um just did and in what do they call it mundo uh they're gonna kill me anyway uh but great festival had a really good time between the and two yeah we between the two of us old men 
Yeah. <laughs> You're just not going to get much. I've, but now I've decided I need to take notes when I have these thoughts. No, uh, what I was going to say was, um, uh, you know, one of the things that affected that was the Can You Brew It series. Mm. When uh, I was yeah. talking to all these uh, the professional brewers and getting their exact techniques, one of the things I learned was, well, you know, how long was their hot stand in the Whirlpool? How long did it take them to knock out? Um, you know, that really affected because the, the, the wort is hot and what temperature they were holding it at made a big difference in the bittering that we were going to achieve in the beer. And yeah. because of that, when I did the recipes for those shows, I would always adjust the amount of time or, you know, when the uh, the home brewer we were having brew the beer added the, the bittering hops. And by doing that, we were able to match up hmm. almost every time that it, was fundamentally one of the biggest things that made it difficult to match those up. It was the timing of these late hops, mm-hmm. these whirlpool hops, and uh, and of course the ingredients. And once we, you know, figured that out, it was like, there you go. And so um, that was a big change for me in my my way of thinking as to where bittering comes from, and you know why late hops are important, and you know dry hopping and the perception of bitterness. Mm-hmm. So. There you go. I actually remembered it. All right. Just just keep I taking mem- notes. I remembered it good. <laughs> <laughs> Put it down. Well, you want to you take a break and yeah. let Palmer walk us through the start of it? Yeah, let's take a short break. And when we come back, John, you'll, you'll uh, take us into, well, we love starting with a definition first. But, there we go. Uh, we'll have that we'll right after this. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Are you looking for a simple brewing system that's great for all grain brewing, but everything on the market seems to be full of compromises? Blickman Engineering has the answer. The Blickman Brew Easy All Grain Brewing System. The Brew Easy is a complete system with easy upgrades and a beautiful compact design, perfect for any size brewing location. At its core, the Brew Easy is built on two gorgeous Blickman Boilermaker brew kettles, a high temperature March pump, and either a top tier gas burner or the new boil coil electric heater. The Brew Easy adapter lid allows the pots to stack on top of each other, forming an efficient, strong, and compact brewing setup that comes in 5, 10, and 20-gallon batch sizes. Upgrade your BrewEasy system with full automated control by adding a Blickman Tower of Power temp controller and make moving around easy with the Blickman Kettle Cart. The BrewEasy is modular. If you already own a Boilermaker kettle, you can build your BrewEasy by purchasing just the modules you need. The new BrewEasy all-grain brewing system. See it today at BlickmanEngineering.com and brew with Blickman quality on your new BrewEasy. Back to the beer guys that make other beer guys look like wine guys. Brew strong. All right, we're back. We're talking uh, late hopping and dry hopping. The the, the difference between uh, and the importance of these uh, methods of hopping, I guess. Uh, John, can you uh, give us some some quick definitions of uh, what late hopping is, whirlpool sure. hopping is, dry hopping is? 
Yeah. Well, late opening in the and uh, like a whirlpool chiller that I used yeah. to use uh, that also. Uh, sure. Yeah. Okay. But the, the 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 purpose, I guess, is like this is a period when the brewer is trying to. Uh, concentrate the tube in the center mm-hmm. so they can draw f- clearer wort mm-hmm. uh, to the fermenter or to, yeah, to, to the chiller and to the fermenter. Mm-hmm. You don't and so it's a period of uh, a hot exposure mm-hmm. for them where they add hops. Right. And then dry hopping, of course, is cold side mm-hmm. uh, after chilling and uh, traditionally happens at the after fermentation but more and more we're seeing it done during fermenting you know where do, where do we add the hops why do right. we make these distinctions in scheduling right why does the the timing really matter between these things what yeah. is what is the what is the major difference you're going to get on those yeah well i think there's two two Areas one is your IBUs change as a result of when you hop, and the second is uh, biotransformation of hop compounds. Uh, you know, during fermentation, after fermentation, and uh, and biotransformation is when the yeast are affecting the uh, compounds that are in the hops and converting them to something that has a different perhaps more or less uh, pleasant aroma or flavor, right? Right. And that's yeah. the biotransformation. It's, a, it's an interaction of the yeast and the hops mm-hmm. uh, to produce different compounds that weren't there previously. Right. Well, and there's another kind of a, is it a, a chemical transformation or maybe you call it a biotransformation where the uh, where the, 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 the compounds come out of the hops in the boil and then the heat... Well, it, also in the whirlpool, yeah. the heat transforms those compounds into something more bitter. Uh, That's right. And also, I would assume, alters the flavor or aroma of some of those compounds as well. Yeah. Yeah. There's you know all kinds of chemistry going on uh, mm-hmm. during the boil, during whirlpool, uh, and during fermentation. Right. And it, sometimes it's a case of volatiles being you know evolved from the hot wort, uh, other cases it's uh, high temperature oxidation mm-hmm. changing a you know a hydrocarbon in the hop oil front to an epoxide um and we'll probably talk about that a little later that's one of the uh, well, characters that's associated with noble hop aroma um yeah a variety of things going on but we mainly th- 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 in the past have thought about um you know bittering as you know yeah. the the boil hop and even the later we knew the later editions also added bittering, and and I know for a fact that in the whirlpool, uh, just sitting you know above 175 Fahrenheit, 180 Fahrenheit, it is the those compounds are becoming more bitter um, with time, just like in the boil. Maybe not quite as rapidly, but they are becoming bitter now. Right. But the, the concept of bittering, and I think we touched on this maybe a couple years ago. Yeah. I, I don't believe in IBUs anymore. I, I mean, I believe they, <laughs> they exist. I believe they do measure something. I believe what they measure is useless now. Okay. I okay. think that the the bitter perception of a beer is, is so much more tied into other things now, um, other compounds. Sensory other flavors, as sensory. opposed to number. Yes. And uh, I think the number that we're, we're measuring – it's really pretty useless because 
you know, the malt balanced in something, you know, what the yeast have done, um, the, uh, you know, the water profile, all that really affects how the intensely the bittering uh, tastes versus, um, you know, whatever number. I can make a yeah. 100 IBU beer that measures out once once fermentation's done, everything is, you know, like 85 IBU, and it doesn't taste bitter at all. And I could make one that is you know, 20 IBU and tastes very bitter. Yeah, that's right. So, that's right. I mean, but... Uh, but why is that? I mean, what, what's what's going on there with with uh, the measurement of, of IBU these days? And, am I right? Okay. Should we just forget about it? <laughs> just skip well, it? I, it, you know, it's it, that is a that is a valid point of view. I think that um, it to 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 throw an analogy in there perhaps it's like your cholesterol number when you go to the doctor mm-hmm. um, as we learn more and more about how you know cholesterol and our heart disease and so on works you know maybe your hdl and your ldl and your good cholesterol bad cholesterol good fats bad fats you know the average person gets lost in that and says oh screw it i'll just keep doing what i'm doing mm-hmm. But if you understand, I guess, in this case, from a doctor's point of view, what those numbers are telling you, it's still a useful number. Mm-hmm. And so, in a like sense, I think the IBU, if you understand where that number comes from and what the test is measuring, mm-hmm. and you look at the beer style that the number is reporting on, it tells you a fair amount about the beer. Um, but you do have to dig into a bit, into it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, 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 uh, my concern is that uh, people, you know, have focused on IBU, and they focus on a, you know anything that they can is quantitative that they can you know put a number on, and yeah. then they think, well, well, that's you know what the beer is going to taste like. It's like, well, yeah. I mean, how much crystal malt are you using? What's the yeah. final final gravity? What what kind of yeast did you use? Uh, that makes a huge difference. Uh, what was yeah. your starting gravity? What? How about your water? Did you use a lot of gypsum? Did you use a lot of chalk? <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, is it a sour beer? Is it? Uh, you know, all these things just play such a, a huge role in the overall perception. That I see what you're saying. It's like uh, measuring, um, you know, color uh, in our lab. We measure color. Or we yeah. measure um, uh, clarity. We measure um, IBUs. We measure all that stuff. But the only reason we're doing it is really more for consistency of you know our 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 um, our brewing. Yeah. We, we we utilize it as uh, signposts or markers along right. the path, and you know just like uh, we measure pH of the uh, of the fermentation, we measure the specific gravity of the fermentation, and we track those. And it's just it's not that we want it to be at a certain pH at the you know. Uh, the pH is, is dropping through fermentation. It's a an indicator that we're using to make sure we're going the right path. Same thing on the IBUs, right? Right, right. Yeah, it's a matter of, of benchmarks for quality, mm-hmm. you know. And I think, you know, the IBU, and uh, we've, as you said, we've talked about this before, it is a number. It's a kind of a it's a simple test that you you take a sample of beer, you do a solvent extraction on it, which helps separate out these uh, chemically similar compounds to isoalpha acid. 
you shine a light through it of a specific wavelength, and you measure how much light is absorbed. Mm-hmm. And then you multiply that number by 50. And so, you know, when the when the unit was developed in the 1950s and the method was developed, um, beers were much simpler. And uh, it was a good correlation. Um, but with the change in hopping and, and the change in the constituents that make up um, the typical IBU these days, I mean, it's a lot more variety. So um, I guess to take a step back, you know, what is an IBU? Well, again, it's that, it's that light absorption times 50. But in terms of our perception, um, we're trying to measure isoalpha acid, which is our our benchmark, our baseline for what is bitter. And we consider one ppm of isoalpha acid, as you would measure it by HPLC or a very specific test, uh, to be one unit of bitterness. Or mm-hmm. that's that's 100% bitter, is that mm-hmm. one isoalpha acid. But when you actually measure isoalpha acid with the IBU test. And anytime any brewery is stating IBUs, they're talking about this standard test. Um, well, and the interesting thing is the vast majority of breweries never test for IBU. I guarantee that. <laughs> they do it once for pet labeling and that's it? No, no. This is just calculated. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's just a okay. homebrew calculation. That's the, the vast majority of brewers because... Uh, if you don't, if you're not set up for it, even if you're set up for it, it's a bit of a pain in the butt to do. Okay. Um, and the, you know, working with the solvents and stuff, and then um, the vast majority of breweries, especially in the United States and around the world that I've ever been to, none of them have the equipment to do it. Okay. So they could send it out, but then you know they don't want to pay somebody to to test it. There's no. And then find out the wrong. Yeah, yeah. There's no labeling requirement uh, for okay. IBUs anywhere in the world. So, yeah. Okay. Well, fair enough. So it's it's just a it's just a, you know I, I bet you it's probably less than twenty percent of breweries actually measure it. Okay. Maybe ten percent. Hmm. All right. Well, be that as it may. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, the the iso alpha acid absorbs at about seventy percent. Mm-hmm. So if you take if you were to take a, a beer that has as measured by HPLC, HPLC which is a more exact uh, measurement method, mm-hmm. if it has a hundred ppm of isoalpha acid in that beer, it would measure on the IBU test as seventy IBUs mm-hmm. because it absorbs at seventy percent. Now. There's another bittering compound that's prevalent in hops, and these are the humulinones, or oxy-alpha oxy acid. Mm-hmm. It's an oxidized form. It's a little more polar, very soluble, but not as bitter as isoalpha. Mm-hmm. It's about 66% as bitter as isoalpha. Mm-hmm. But it only absorbs at 54%. So if you had 100 ppm of the oxy-alpha in solution and measured it with the test, it would only measure as 54 IBUs. Mm-hmm. So right. those are the two bittering, com- the primary bittering compounds 
in your beer. Mm -hmm. You also have your oxidized beta acid. You have your uh, hop tannins, polyphenols that have some bitterness. Mm -hmm. But those are very small, uh, really insignificant proportions by weight. Okay. So, well, let's let's uh, let's do this. Let's take another break, and uh, when we come back, let's kind of wrap up that uh, concept of bittering, uh, and you know, most especially how uh, in in the brewer is going to control this, u- utilizing uh, late hopping changes in late hopping. We'll be back right after this. to brew has never been so disgusting this is brew strong all right we're back um yeah so john you know the how the ibus are measured and all that is 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 fascinating but again uh you know home brewers aren't probably going to be doing any of this right. measuring uh but how can they utilize this information to control what they're brewing how can they change their beer for the better what technique are they going to use in order to uh, make these adjustments in the in the hop character okay great question um yeah so The point in talking about what the IBU is and what it measures is so you understand that we're talking about two primary bittering compounds. You got your isoalpha acid, which is isomerization. You know, it happens with time during the boil. And isomerization, of course, is affected um, by boiling temperature. Or... or or, or just anything past what one seventy five, one eighty. Yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a natural uh, reaction. So you know uh, there's a drastic drop off as you decrease boiling temperature. Mm-hmm. I think around um, at say, for example, in Denver, where you're up at about five thousand feet, um, you actually cut the isomerization rate by about fifty percent. Mm-hmm. Uh, just based on okay. the decrease in boiling temperature as a function of altitude. Mm-hmm. So um, you've got time right. and temperature that affects your isomerization. And this applies to the whirlpool as well. So now in the whirlpool, still hot, but not as hot as boiling, you're at a de- decreased isomerization rate, mm-hmm. That, it, but it's you're still getting some isomerization. Right. Now, in addition to that, the hops have the humulinone or the uh, oxyalpha and this this oxyalpha occurs during uh, baling you know processing and pelletizing of the hops and it seems to be fairly stable after that point it doesn't inc- really increase with time at least the studies that have looked at that have not seen any increase with time mm-hmm. um, and so this compound is um, less by weight than the raw alpha that can be isomerized, but um, w- is more soluble. And so it is a it is a significant bitterness uh, contributor mm-hmm. when you're whirlpool hopping and dry hopping. Right. Well, and uh, you know one of the things we found is uh, you know when we're doing uh, you know hazy IPAs and such you put in such a massive amount of such a giant load of uh, 
uh, hops into the whirlpool that, you know, you get all your bitterness from that. And you have to be careful that you can over-bitter the beer with too much um, hops in the whirlpool, too much hops in the dry hop. Um, you can get uh, you know, substantial bitterness. And one of the things a lot of brewers have been doing is adjusting their whirlpool temperature down first. So they'll uh, recirculate it and let, let the whirlpool temperature drop, uh, bring it down you know, below 180, and then add their, their late addition hops into the whirlpool to, one, retain more of the character of it, not drive too much of it off, but two, not to add too much bittering to the beer. So, okay. um, yeah. you know, those are techniques that uh, people are to starting to utilize. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, trying to, trying to uh, reduce the overall bittering and uh, also some of that, um, you know, uh, almost cooked vegetable that you get from using too much hop leaf um, oh, material yeah. in the, in the, at high heat. So um, that's one of the things that I think, you know, the home brewer can utilize. Uh, you can... Uh, let your work chill down, or you can uh, run it through your plate heat exchanger and back. You can, you know, put a coil in and just run the water a little bit, you know, to, to knock down the temperature, stir it, and and get the temperature down uh, below, you know, or around 180. And that tends to be where people are throwing in the hops now. Mm-hmm. Okay, and um, uh, makes a significant difference, um, and it's not that hard to do. So I would suggest for you know the home brewers and the professional brewers that are trying to get more hop character into their beer, um, and they've tried using a lot more, and then they're getting too much bittering. Um, they may try you know adjusting the temperature down uh, as well and see see how that affects things. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The um, one thing we should mention when it comes to whirlpool hopping and dry hopping and so on, well, really hopping all over, mm-hmm. is the factor of hop rate. You know, how much in terms of, you know, pounds per barrel or liter, uh, grams per liter, mm-hmm. ounces per gallon, you know, how much hop material are you putting into the word at any one time? Right. Um, because, you know, if you go back to the uh, Bruce Strong show we did a couple of weeks ago with Aaron Justice from Ballast Point, you know, he found that hop rate, the, the mass of hops that go in, um, really affects the utilization mm-hmm. because a lot of this alpha and uh, humulinone and isoalpha ends up sti- sticking back to that hop mass mm-hmm. as well as the tr- other trube in the, you know, in the boil kettle and, mm-hmm. and equipment. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the more hops you put in, there's a decreasing uh, uh, efficiency of yeah. utilization. Mm-hmm. So something to keep in mind. Right. Um, and also the other thing uh, relating to that is uh, fermentation. You know, the amount yeah. of yeast, the strain of yeast uh, will, um, you know, you wonder why, you know, if you've ever done side by side with uh, different yeast, same wort, you'll see that some of them are much sweeter. Some are much more bitter. You would swear you use different ingredients in it, but what's happening is the yeast are, you know, taking some of those compounds out, or they're leaving some other compounds back, or they're producing some other compounds that have a sweetness or a bitterness, and the overall character changes as well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the and, yeast, of course, is a, is 
the the next big step in mm-hmm. the production of the beer. I mean, fermentation is everything, as you said. Right. Um, yeah. So the the particular yeast variety that you're using, how much of it, um, whether you had you know uh, blow off, you know, remove the croissant entirely, you know, all of that, all of these these removal processes can carry away mm-hmm. your hop compounds mm-hmm. and change the beer. Right. Well, and I think, you know, one of the things that uh, is necessary to really perfect a beer is to brew it repeatedly. And that's one of the advantages a lot of commercial brewers have, although I guess they're not doing it as much anymore. But, uh, you know, it used to be that you brewed the same beer day in and day out. And uh, by by repeating the the uh, the brew process uh, a couple of times a week, uh, you know, uh, every, consistent. Yeah, you you knew how to make little tiny changes, and you go, yeah, that worked, and nobody else really noticed, but you noticed, and you could do all these little things. So I think, uh, yeah, that's another you know trick that uh, homebrewers can use, and it's it's very difficult, like we're saying with IBUs or anything, to um, be able to uh, uh, you know just design a beer from day one. Uh, the average home brewer being able to just, you know, come up with a recipe and decide how it's going to work. There's a lot of moving parts there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, very good, very good point. Now, mm-hmm. what about also uh, more about uh, biotransformation? I mean, uh, so in the in, in the uh, late uh, hopping, um, you know, up through the whirlpool. You can adjust time, you can adjust the amounts, you can adjust the varietal, you can adjust the temperature. You know, you can't really on the boil, but you can in the whirlpool. Right. Um, right. Post boil, you can you can bring the temperature down. Um, so those are all the controls that that the brewer can use to affect uh, the overall flavor, aroma, what have you, body bitterness uh, of the beer. Now, mm-hmm. what can they do in the dry hopping stage? What about more dry hopping? All this biotransformation people are talking about, and uh, yeah. you know, what what are the controls there? What what can the brewer do to uh, make something happen in dry hopping? Okay, well, um, again, the, the yeast has a large part to play, but the hop variety themselves and the timing of the harvest of that particular hop. Uh, can have a great impact on the beer as well. Um, there's take, to take a step back for a second. There's roughly four classes that we of biotransformation that we know of right now, and I guess one of those is kind of a chemical transformation and oxidation during the boil. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, hydrocarbons converting to oxygenated hydrocarbons, epoxides, and so on. Um, then you have um, oxygenated hydrocarbon transformation um, by various uh, meth- chemical, biochemical means. The chemistry is kind of beyond me, but I've seen diagrams. Um, where you get, you get transformations, for example, of uh, geraniol to uh, citronellol. Mm-hmm. That is a kind of a floral character to a tropical fruit character mm-hmm. is one example. Um, and, you know, a lot of this information has really only come to light in the last two years. Mm-hmm. Um, studies by, you know, Oregon State, um, Japan, uh, in, um, 
breweries there. I mean, a lot of new information has recently come out on this. Mm-hmm. Um, we have uh, thiol transformation, again, by similar chemical pathways where uh, thiol precursors coming from the hops um, are acted on by hop enzymes, freeing some esters and, uh, and free sulfur compounds that can have very strong um, uh, berry, tropical fruit, uh, rhubarb, um, different you know uh, aromas that you would then you would get otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, the fourth one is um, a kind of transesterification, and uh, within the hop oils, within these oxygenated hydrocarbons, uh, there's a class of hop esters, mm-hmm. and um, these are ethyl esters. And one example is, um, where's that word? 2-methylbutyl-isobutyrate transforming to ethyl-isobutyrate, which the ethyl-isobutyrate's a pretty common compound in hops, and it can have a green apple to apricot kind of aroma. Mm-hmm. And so, again, this is um, interactions with the hops, and so you're... The timing of your dry hop addition can have a profound effect on the aroma character of a beer. Last year at the MBAA ASBC uh, Brewing Summit in San Diego, Sierra Nevada did a very interesting presentation on uh, an experiment they did where they took uh, a single wort, split it into four vessels. The control wort was not dry hopped. Uh, the first, the next wort um, was, I should say, the next fermenter was dry hopped at the beginning of the fermentation, right, with the pitching of the yeast. Uh, the third one was dry hopped during the middle of the fermentation at day four, roughly. Mm-hmm. And the fourth one was dry hopped after fermentation, after the beer had been um, chilled mm-hmm. to drop the yeast. Mm-hmm. And... They took these beers uh, to sense their sensory panel, mm-hmm. and as you can imagine, Sierra Nevada, it's a pretty extensive sensory panel, mm-hmm. and they saw a really profound change, um, very sig- statistically significant changes in the sensory profile of those four beers, mm-hmm. um, going from uh, malty to tropical fruit to a little less tropical floral, and then finally... At the end, uh, the one that had been dry hopped after fermentation had a much more less fruity and predominantly more dank uh, onion, garlic uh, Mm -hmm. hop character Mm -hmm. than any of the previous beers did. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, again, this is the it demonstrates the effect of yeast acting on hop compounds, right? uh, And releasing some of these characters. I I would say, though, that uh, you know. The important part here is their their test was done with their standard Sierra Nevada ale yeast, which um, yeah yeah it it, it you know it, the choice of yeast makes a, a huge difference. Yes, it uh, does. because some yeast will do more of this biotransformation. Some will do next to nothing, and you know how it it, it isn't necessarily always exactly the same transformation uh, for you know it used using different strains of yeast. Um, and the other thing is, yeah, you could drop pretty much 
almost all the yeast out if you're using something like 001 or your Cal Ale yeast, right? US05. Mm-hmm. But if um, where where this has really become important is in these you know fruity hazy IPAs and um, uh, most time people are not using that yeast. They're using um, uh, you know a yeast that stays in suspension a lot longer. Yeah, a know? lower flocculating yeah. Much, East Coast English yeast, something like that. Exactly. So, in that case, um, you know, you chill it down to uh, um, you know a, a given temperature. You're not crashing all the yeast out. You're not going down to you know zero C. You're taking it down to maybe sixty two, and um, there's still a massive amount of yeast left and active. So. In that case, you know, at the end of fermentation, so one of the, the things that, that we've tried is we've done um, essentially the, the same same wort, same yeast, and, you know, the, the last couple of days of fermentation was the, all the rage people were talking about. And then, you know, a couple of days later, and what we found was, um, you know, a, a clear perception of uh, increased, uh, uh, almost a bitter compound. And a compound that, you know, we didn't like with the, you know, few days before the end of fermentation versus after fermentation. Hmm. And I wasn't sure, you know, what what was causing that. But, um, you know, with, you know, it's like so many things. With all the hype that uh, was surrounding biotransformation, everyone's like, oh, no, 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 it's good, it's good, it's good. And everyone was just blindly doing it. Right, and right. I think you know the important thing to take away is that well, it could be a negative too. It isn't that, necessarily yeah. always a positive. It depends on the beer you're making. It depends on the yeast you're using. It depends on the hops you're using. It depends on right. so many various things. Um, you need to do some taste trials. You need to actually see what it is the result you're getting, and not yeah. just follow some advice that you hear on the internet on some load of a show. That that's an excellent point, Jamil. Because, uh, yeah, it really. I mean, I was looking at another hops article today in Bravelt, um, where they had compared forty-two different hop varieties and the the compounds that each carried versus the others. Uh-huh. And you know, there's there's so much variety in hops these days. When the, some of the um, new ones are more heavily loaded on the you know these precursor compounds, these sulfur precursors, mm. these um, um, ester precursors, and others uh, have more of the free thiols and the free esters. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, you have to understand your ingredients. You have to understand your yeast and your hops, and to to get a better handle on what it what. The biotransformation is actually right. going to generate. Is it a positive? Is it a negative? Mm-hmm. Um, where? Do, when do you have to time it, and so on? So, yeah, um, I wholeheartedly endorse your, uh, you know, trial. Right. Well, <laughs> Just, you know your your ingredients, your beers, and I and I think that this is an area where people can, um, you know, do some some research. I mean, they're. There's potentially, you know, millions of combinations of hops, uh, yeast strains, uh, timing, temperature, um, you know, pitching rates, waters, things that I think will all affect biotransformation. And, you know, maybe some general rules could be put to 
you know, uh, put together from some of this. But uh, it seems to me like, you know, just such a difficult thing. It's almost I think the vast majority of us are just working blindly now. We're trying something, seeing if it tastes better and then going like, well, okay, that worked. You know, we're we're just guessing and uh, we don't really have any science uh, behind you know which which hop we're choosing and why and and what yeast and what temperature etc. Yeah. yeah. And so, what would you say for the the home brewer um, to? Everybody wants to get more dry hop character, right? Or more hop character. That seems to always yeah. be the thing. How how is the the home brewer going to take this information and use this to? improve their beer to get you know a longer lasting brighter better hop character in their beer yeah oh it's like trying to answer how do i win the lottery um you play, well you play, I'll, I'll give you the numbers <laughs> there you go uh so hop oil content is one uh factor although it is not the only factor mm-hmm. um the the uh, composition, the, you know, the the proportions of the various constituents within hop oil have a big impact on overall hop aroma intensity. But you know, so understanding that, um, you need to look at um, different hop varieties, ones that have uh, fruity aroma, fruitier aromas um, right off the bat. Um, you know, as you smell them, you know, by rubbing, those would probably do better in dry hopping versus hops that don't have, say, a strong tropical aroma or fruity aroma. Those may be better utilized uh, back in the boil um, where different transformation reactions could occur on some of these precursors that could free up uh, more aroma. Mm-hmm. So what am I? What I'm saying is, is that you know, understanding your hop variety and its constituents can help you just determine where to place that hop in the brewing process: mm-hmm. hot side or cold side, beginning of fermentation, end of fermentation. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I, I don't have any you know real good rules of thumb at this point. Uh, we're still, I'm still reading papers on a daily basis. It mm-hmm. seems like trying to get the latest and organize these. But yeah, a lot of these, a lot of these newer varieties, um, the New Zealand, the you know Pacific varieties seem to have uh, more of these free esters that can give you a stronger aroma in the beer. Well, you know, what's interesting, uh, having traveled around, and you've traveled around quite a bit as well, you know, when you taste some of the beers, uh, you know, some places in the world, um, it's surprising, uh, you know, one of the one of the biggest challenges they have is sometimes getting good, fresh, high-quality hops. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's getting better, uh, but, you know, a few years ago... You would taste something just like, man, I don't know what kind of hops you're using, but you know, are you sure they were hops? Um, <laughs> and, and, and so one of the things I would say to uh, you know the home brewers that are trying to make you know great beer is you know be sure of your ingredients. 
you know, a, a like you said, a, a rub and sniff. Um, who doesn't enjoy a good rub and sniff of uh, your your various hops? And um, you know, if it doesn't smell good um, when you're when you're before you use them, no amount of biotransformation is going to make them smell better and taste better once you throw them in. It's yeah, not like if you dry hop with them. Yeah, it's not some sort of miracle, uh, you know, magic wand that's going to convert uh, something that smells like ass into, uh, you know, something that smells like chocolate. Right. Um, you know, you it, it's just not that a, uh, you know, dramatic an effect. And so, you know, just make sure of the quality of your ingredients that you're utilizing. And then, you know, uh, sometimes more is not better. Um, I think that was one kind of one of the things you were saying was, uh, yeah. you know, there's a, you know, kind of a, 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 a limit to the return on how much you can put in. Um, you know, a lot of it ends up coating the, the fermenter. A lot of it's lost in the yeast. A lot of it's just stuck in the hot matter. Um, yeah. Uh, one pound per barrel is kind of like the benchmark everyone kind of goes with for, you know, any whirlpool hopping, dry hopping, have you. And a lot of the hazy uh, ale uh, brewers will go up to, say, four pounds a barrel for a hazy. Mm-hmm. But when you go over that, um, uh, Fontaine and Shellhammer were showing um, that there's a really a, a very de- quick decrease in the amount of return. Mm-hmm. That as you go over four pounds per barrel or 16 grams per liter, um, that uh, you really end up losing you know, most of what you try to put in. It yeah. just sticks. I think that the you know the the modern technique being used now is um, instead of so there's still people doing five seven pounds you know per barrel. Um, we found you know we went up to you know the four and five and, and found we were getting less uh, character. Yeah, yeah, and so we actually backed off a little bit, and the character improved. And one of the things is um, that a lot of people are doing now is they're using uh, recirculation. So they'll they'll actually just recirculate the beer. So and I think a lot of this started with like the torpedo and all that idea of recirculating oh, yeah. through the hops. Now people are just pumping the entire mess around in the fermenter. And trying to just, you know, loosen up the hops, you know, stir it up so that it spreads freely throughout the beer and you're utilizing more of the, uh, of the uh, you know, character in the compounds that you're looking for. And so, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Uh, they're calling them hop guns, hop uh, cannon. Well, not hop cannons. They're, I think they call them hop guns and they call them hop something. Um, there's a number of companies that have them. It's essentially, you know, a hopper. You put your hops in, you blow CO2 through them, and then you turn the pump on, you circulate beer through, and it sucks the hops through. And, uh, you know, uh, it'll go through like a shear pump and chop them up or, you know, whatever it is you needed to. And then you pump it back into the, uh, the fermenter. And you circulate this for... They're saying, uh, you know, four hours is the kind of the magic time. And then, um, uh, and then, uh, you know, you turn off, you, you get to, you know, you, you need to, you know, 10 to 20% less hops, uh, because of it, uh, to get the same, you know, impact. 
yeah. which, which is substantial. I mean, it's, you know, uh, thousands of dollars. Uh, a yeah, lot of time, so. ops are money. Mm. More and more so today. Um, so I think, you know, those are one of the ways people are pursuing them. You know, the whole thing about hop oils and all that, there was like this whole rush to get more oil, more oil, more oil. And I think it caused um, uh, some of the hop growers to delay picking further and further. And it became, right. you know, the problem is then you get that oniony, garlicky. It's a real skill being, knowing exactly when to pick the hops uh, so that you're maximizing some of these oils and some of this character, but not allowing it to convert over into more of the garlic and onion. Right, right. So, That's a good uh, point. Yeah, that was, that was a... Uh, and again, you know, s- s- scratch and sniff your your hops and uh, see what uh, what you're getting because uh, you're not going to convert it. No ma- amount of biotransformation is going to uh, make it into something uh, more delicious. Um, anything else uh, before we wrap up? I I don't think so. That covers most of the bases. I think we wanted to talk about. Um, yeah, late hopping, dry hopping, mm-hmm. um, kind of, you know, we're trying to maximize aroma and, or, you know, at the and reduce bitterness in many cases. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, know your ingredients, understand what biotransform is, biotransformation is and what it isn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. People might try different yeasts. They might try different temperatures. They might try different timings of when they add it in. Uh, the biotransformation uh, sh- should happen fairly rapidly. Mm-hmm. I don't know that. Uh, I mean, you really need to add the hops at the beginning of the fermentation. Um, it depends. I mean, it depends on it depends on the the hop variety that you're using and the yeast variety uh, right. the yeast variety that you're right. using. But yeah, you can you can get. I guess the the Sierra Nevada study showed that with their yeast and they were using Cascade hops, mm-hmm. they could get different characters, uh, statistically different characters, and they they repeated that mm-hmm. experiment three times mm-hmm. um, at each timing mm-hmm. so beginning middle and end right, right. they could differentiate them mm-hmm. well there you go so uh try different things i guess that's what that means yep <laughs> have fun brewing right right yeah that's that's the greatest part of brewing is being able to do all those things and uh i tell you you know one of the greatest things is using good equipment you know from companies like blickman engineering Check them out, our fine sponsor, uh, BlickmanEngineering.com. You know, John Blickman, he's uh, always trying to innovate your brew day, make things better, and uh, keep you happy and hoppy. So until then, everybody, brew strong. Brew strong, everyone. Brew strong.